0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We are looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And closing out the week with us, back one more time, Dr. Arnold Blumberg from the Marvel Cinematic Universe Review Podcast. Welcome back.
1: Thank you so much. It's been such a joy doing this with you guys. I really appreciate it.
2: You're so gracious. yeah, we really appreciate you being here. This has been a great week. It really has
0: lots of uh, great conversations uh today, we are looking at Iron Man minute seventy on today's show. The minute starts with Agent Colson locking down a meeting with Tony, and it ends with Tony and Pepper dancing,
1: Aw. <laughs> Only a minor sexual harassment thing in most businesses.
0: (laughs) Uh, Tony is... uh Considering he has other employees uh, dancing on stripper poles in the airplane in earlier minutes,
1: I I don't think he's worried about those sorts of things. No, this is not something that that figures into his worldview, I don't think.
0: Definitely not. He would not be surviving the uh, current um, Me Too movement.
1: I don't think so. I think Pepper would have sufficient grounds for... But then again, she winds oh, up yes. with the company eventually. Oh wait, that's right. I'm not supposed to reflect the future. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: this is a nice little minute. We're still uh, having this conversation with Agent Coulson, and uh, I, I, in the middle of it, I like this this moment where Tony is just kind of glancing across the room as he's half listening to Coulson, and he sees this uh, this redhead across the room in a in a beautiful dress, and I wonder as i look at this moment does he just see a beautiful redhead and uh find her attractive or does he realize it's pepper right away and uh is just surprised to see her looking like this? i think
1: that's exactly what it is because the way the shot is actually shot is like standard hollywood visuals for oh my god i didn't know she could be pretty it's the meat cute which which you know again has all of its own deeply problematic issues here with Tony's, you know, yeah. approach to things. But when you watch At least he scene, doesn't have
0: her take her glasses off at some point. No,
1: but, but like <laughs> when, when you watch it like, at, at, at like four <laughs> seconds or so, she specifically turned away so far that all you see is her hair and then those other people pass in front of her and that's when we suddenly see her head turn and then he's like, oh my God, that's Pepper. So yeah, yeah it's supposed to be saying, well, I've never seen her that way before. And so now she's a target. <laughs> it's Tony Stark.
0: It's it's a funny uh, it's an interesting relationship to to build and uh, to go down this this route. I actually like that they chose to develop it this way instead of uh like the comics where I mean Pepper had had been uh swooning over Tony for years yeah. before finally falling for Happy of all characters. And um yeah. I I like that they ended up developing it this way. I just think it ended up Um, working and it grounded Tony a little bit. So he didn't turn into a James Bond type of character where every film he would be with a different uh, set of beautiful women. That would have, I think, not worked so well.
1: First of all, can I give Favreau and everybody on this team credit for actually sticking to calling her Pepper Potts? Which is just amazing on a, right. on a whole level that they stuck with that. <laughs> but the other thing too is like you were saying that was an, we we've talked earlier in the week about um, Stan Lee and and his approach to some of the characterization in the early comics, and that was another recurring thing that he used as like one of the basic elements of his toolkit was the constant uh, dynamic of the superhero and the girl pining for him who he's also pining for, but he cannot do something lest he reveal his identity and endanger her. And basically almost every dynamic in all the main Marvel titles had some version of that. And I think it's beautiful that, you know, for all the problems that come up in the way this dynamic works, I like the way this relationship subverts the standard cliché of superhero and girlfriend, because they almost have this, like old golden age of Hollywood, 30s, 40s, you know, Howard uh, Hawks kind of like patter. And they they give, you know, she gives as good as she gets, and they're they're going back and forth. And it kind of undercuts the standard romance, and they feel like they belong together.
0: These two actors, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr., do have some great chemistry. And I think that's one of the things that makes this relationship work so well, uh, this just kind of the way that she's reacting to him uh, later in this minute, yeah. Um, reminds me of earlier in the film when he's asking her to kind of help swap out the arc reactors, and it's just you know it's it's like she has to do these things for him and 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 uh, help him out because she works for him, but she's not afraid to to let him know that she's you know just kind of be honest about it. In that case, how disgusting it was and all the pus and everything and. And here it's, it's all, you know, this, you know, I, I forgot me a deodorant and I'm dancing with my boss in front of people
1: I work with just the way that she plays it. I think, I think sells it. And I think that one of the, the great things about Paltrow uh, is that she may be the only one in his life who can say honest things to him, but you never get the feeling that she doesn't have the upper hand in this dynamic. He's... Rich and powerful, and he thinks he runs everything, but he's a little kid and he's kind of a buffoon, really. And she's on a certain level, at least, maybe not in being, maybe not in technology, but she's smarter than him. She's cleverer and she's in control of where this is going. And that helps a lot because he would still be in trouble in a court of law, I think. So <laughs> So it works out that, that they're fine together. But it's it's just, again, like you said, it's chemistry. They have a great dynamic. The casting is a huge part of this movie all the way across the board.
2: It's a funny thing because if there wasn't a power dynamic, it wouldn't be. Uh, it would just be a sort of intimacy between two people that that have an attraction to one another. Uh, and, and so it's a fine, fine line that they are playing here uh, that we, with the gift of hindsight, now recognize that as a as a troublesome relationship. But she clearly has a, an affection for him beyond, you know, uh, you know, just an em- employer relationship.
1: Yeah. And like I was saying, the little boy, I mean, that's a huge yeah. part of his character, too, is that. You know, if we want to get really deeply psychological and and troubling, there's also the fact that she's very maternal. Yeah, she takes care of all the things that he can't handle.
2: Yeah, that's on her.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's it's both of them, but it's part of that relationship. Yeah, is that she's yeah. taking care of him? Right. Right. Also, I think
0: it's just a nice nod. This this ends up being a nice payoff to the setup we had earlier about the, uh, like way earlier in the film, about, you know, it's her birthday, uh, buy yourself something else I already did. Uh, and now we get the payoff of that birthday present and we get to see this dress, which is a beautiful dress. It's mm-hmm. it's nice to see that uh, even little
2: elements like that, they find ways to pay off later in the film. It is. I think it's great. And and it, it reflects on that power dynamic that she really runs the place. She runs the place. She runs the money. Uh, and, and uh, you know, ultimately, that'll pay off.
1: And I think, I think it was said, uh, when you said in one of the previous ones this week, too, that one of the things that's quintessential to his character is this idea that, like, he's the idea guy. And it's like he needs people around him that can handle the basic functions of life because he's not good at that <laughs> you know and whether it's building a suit to help him live or the people he surrounded himself with that's what he needs you know he needs the people that can take care of those things
0: he absolutely does uh, we we kind of skipped over it, but there's one point that i wanted to get back to with agent colson that i thought was a rather uh, funny one as he's talking to tony and uh, he he's setting up at this appointment with him to chat and debrief him on his his time being held by the Ten Rings terrorists, Tony's just like, yeah, that's great. Let's do that. And and Agent Coulson says, let's just put something on the books. How about the 24th at 7 p.m. at Stark Industries? What an odd time to pick, to, to schedule. I mean, I, I know, obviously, it's it's perfect timing for a plot point later in the film, but otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> what, who sets meetings for 7 p.m. other than like a guy who's going to show you how to, uh, you know, put a new uh, uh, filter system on your water at,
2: at your house? The uh, You know, I had to wonder if that was some sort of an inside joke that I didn't get. Like, is that like, is there something about the 24th at 7 p.m. that's a comic joke?
1: Not that I can think of, but I'm. Certainly happy yeah, to be contradicted if somebody can find something, but I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I mean, I may be wrong. But I think it just uh, lands on uh, screenwriting just, just yeah. picking a, a generic date without a month, so you're not pinpointing the month. Yeah, and then a time because we know later we're going to need uh, and we need evening. people there in the evening. Yeah, <laughs> but other than that, they prefer to work after
1: dark because it's a stealth thing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right so <laughs> uh, it's very funny yeah. you know it's 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 interesting because they are very interested in all of the stuff going on with the 10 rings that um uh, for whatever reason because colson ever since tony got back he's been showing up at the press conference and in in some deleted scenes he'd been calling pepper trying to lock all of this down and, and pinpoint a meeting and uh they're very interested in talking to tony and it makes me uh curious what uh why shield is so interested in the ten rings i mean i don't think it really matters other than to show that it's a government agency that's interested in terrorism um but in context of who we know shield to to become yeah you know and 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 to also know that the ten rings in the film isn't necessarily the mandarin's ten rings or anything like that it's interesting that they are so uh drawn to this information rather than like the cia or something
1: that's interesting actually i never really thought about that much and again not only like what they're going to become but what as as it sounds like we're going to find out what they've already been by the time of of iron man sure it's like what does this mean does this mean that the ten rings organization already had some kind of involvement in in superhero activity or something going on that would have put them on their radar because otherwise it doesn't it really only makes sense as a convenient plot contrivance to keep Coulson turning up, you know? And who knows? Maybe if you think about it, maybe—and I'm just thinking of this as we're talking about it—but maybe the Ten Ring thing isn't really what they're interested in. Maybe it's just the context he's using to keep contacting Stark because they know with the suit he built to get out and all that, maybe they know some things already that the general public doesn't know or that other people don't know, and maybe that's what they're zeroing in on is checking him out. And they're using the Ten Rings thing as a pretext so that he doesn't get suspicious about why this government agent is talking to him. So it might be that that's not really what they're interested in. They're interested in him.
0: Well, to me, that makes a lot more sense. You know, like they detected the repulsor technology yeah. in in ways that they've never detected before or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. they, they, they were instantly drawn to that. And I mean, it, it'll make sense, I guess, later in context of the film when a certain character arrives at the end of the credits that this technology that he's developing is something that they can put to use rather than worry about this uh, potentially uh, uh, not so super... Uh, villainous uh, mm-hmm. terrorist organization.
2: This is where we need sort of a Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead uh, <laughs> version of this story, and and I sort of I, I say that knowing that kind of uh, Agents of Shield was supposed to serve that role. Like, yeah. what are the underlings doing? But I want it like at this period. Like, what is? Let's follow Clark Gregg out of the Disney Concert Hall and see where he goes.
1: I wish that right. they That's- had really stuck with the one shots. <laughs> the way yeah. they, yes. i really yes. love the concept of the one shots and i enjoyed just about all of them and there's the one that that felt like the most labored one is the one with him and what is it uh sitwell that was mainly only to fix a continuity error or or rather like an inconvenience <laughs> but how more interesting it would have been if they kept using that idea as a way of filling in these kind of things absolutely and like you could have him walk yeah. out and it's like you know did he buy the 10 rings thing oh yeah he believed me yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And
1: and that's all we'd need. And we go, see? There you go. <laughs>
0: I, I have uh, never explored the world of uh, of fan fiction, but it does make me wonder if there's if there are stories out there that people have written about uh, Coulson and and these <laughs> these adventures, like the behind the scenes adventures of Agent Coulson through the movie Iron Man. I think if there's one um,
1: thing you can be certain of in the world of any fandom and fan fiction, is that if you have a question like that, the answer is always yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: already there, yep. right? I wonder who uh, Colson is shipping with this week. Like, or did I? I think I used that wrong. You, Coulson no, you is used just it right shipping. Now,
1: so <laughs> well, we, We'd be shipping Colson and somebody. Oh, yes. But I don't yeah. want to find out what the Colson slash Vic is like. So we'll just. Right. Uh,
2: <laughs> yes, it can go strange. Definitely. Oh, look, here I am right now. I, I made the mistake as we're talking oh, of <laughs> actually looking it up. And it turns out oh, no. Phil Colson is shipping Clint Barton. Who saw that coming?
1: Huh? It's it's Colson and and Clint together. Okay,
2: that's right. Okay. It's Colton. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's their ship name.
2: <laughs> don't look that up, everybody. Please don't. Or I strongly, you know, or strongly, strongly discourage. Or yes, <laughs> yeah,
1: but whatever. <laughs> Your <laughs> answers
2: answers will be given. There you go. Yep, yep. I I can guarantee you we're not linking that in the show notes, everybody. <laughs> no links to any of that. <laughs> Andy, you were saying... <laughs>
0: uh, yeah yeah. Uh, just looking at the uh, the context of this, what is what do you guys think Tony's intention of coming here was? Was it just because he didn't get an invite and this function has his name on it? Do you think he's just like, well, I'm going. They're not going to keep me away from this. Um, I mean, obviously, he didn't want to hang out and chat with uh, Obadiah outside. I don't think he was necessarily coming because he wanted to see pepper i think that was just a convenience obviously not colson i i'm assuming it's just because he just felt like he should be there
1: i think it's if i'm remembering it right in the larger context i think it's just mainly being stir crazy and thinking i got to get back to being me and yeah he
0: does say he's got cabin fever so that that certain plays
1: and and then he sees that report and they're saying uh what was it like they actually were saying like nobody's expecting and it's like well his ego is, is kicked into gear at that point. And it's like, oh, they're not expecting <laughs> right. it, huh? Well, you know, it's time for me to make an appearance. And I think that really is just what it is. Because, yeah, because like we were saying before, him seeing Pepper is just happenstance. He doesn't expect that. And he's surprised to see her, from his perspective, in that context is, like, desirable and like, oh, wow. I want to go over and talk to her. So I think the goal was just to be Tony Stark in public.
0: Right. Get back to that public persona that he had... Uh... That Obadiah had requested he avoid for so long.
2: Yeah, well, and I, I think there's something about that too. Again, kind of the paradox of Tony Stark, which is that you know where when we're in his garage, he is meticulously like detail oriented and putting pieces together, and and his projects are all sort of well documented, right? He's he is a guy who thinks many steps ahead, and this I think is an example of him of the other side of him of the the overgrown child part that doesn't think that many steps ahead. He's sort of responds on instinct. And that instinct is, I got to get out of here. I'm going to go do something. I may mess some stuff up, but uh, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: (laughs) he needs a drink. He needs a fast car. You know, it's just it's comfort, I think, on a certain level.
0: Yeah, because there's only so much joy he can get. And, and I think Tony being the extrovert, the joy that he gets out of flying for the first time, which we just saw him do a few minutes ago, where he uh, has this fantastic experience of, of actually doing stuff that's, that he's never done and we've never seen before. It's, it's thrilling, but he's doing it alone. All he has to enjoy that with is Jarvis, and that only works for so long. And so uh, even though he's not necessarily here to kind of gloat or talk about it, just the idea that he wants to get out and, and be with people in a situation where he's out there and he knows what he's done now yeah, i like that yeah, yeah yeah me too so so arnold you uh you have uh quite a background in uh, the world of of comics having uh kind of done some work uh with comics in the past when, when you were young, do you, uh, were you reading Iron Man comics? What was your kind of, uh, your connection to Iron Man? Like, where did it all begin for you?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, Marvel was my, I mean, you know, like it's the cliche that a lot of kids who are into comics, it seems like you grow up being primarily one or the other Marvel or DC. I never mm-hmm. really saw it like as a choice that I had to make, but just naturally I was a Marvel kid. Um, I started off with like, as a little kid with Harvey Comics, like Casper and Richie Rich and all that. And then very shortly, uh, like when I was a kid in the 70s, they were doing Spidey Super Stories, which were deliberately aimed at a younger readership. But I was quickly blowing through that. And it's like, oh, I, I want more of this stuff. And Spider-Man was my number one guy. So I started with that. But very quickly, I don't even remember how fast. It was just instant to me. I was reading every single Marvel title. Probably one of the only corners of that universe I didn't become particularly emotionally invested in for whatever reason were the x men titles, which I oh. regretted deeply hmm. years later because they were always the ones who were more valuable to us right. <laughs> right. but um for someone who spent a lot of time in the collectibles industry, I had terrible judgment in what to get and what not to get. <laughs> but um but I read everything. And like for a period of time well into the eighties, I was like subscribing to every single Marvel Universe title and reading everything. So naturally Iron Man was a huge part of that. And as a as a linchpin in the whole Avengers dynamic and, you know, everything else he did in that universe, oh sure. And then like going back and reading all the reprints and you know, catching up on the history of what went before me. So I was steeped in all that stuff.
0: So you were uh, uh, prepped and ready when all these films started uh, rolling out.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I I never in a million years would have ever imagined I'd live to see a day where not only did this stuff get realized in such a realistic way, like in live action and and done with such reverence and and love for the material, but to see it become such mainstream entertainment where everybody on the street knows who Iron Man is. And again, before this movie, I I would think that that would been, would have been a lot less likely. He was not one of like the A-list characters. that was an instant recognizable figure like Spider-Man or the Hulk. And of course, some of it's because they got some television exposure and, you know, people knew him, but, uh, It was extraordinary to me, and seeing this film in particular, I can still remember being just like this watershed moment where it's like, I can't believe it, I'm actually seeing the Marvel Universe, more so than anything that preceded it. Even the Spider-Man films and X-Men, things seemed to be moving in that direction, but nothing felt quite like I was really seeing the Marvel Universe until this one, and it just felt right. Do you think
0: some of that was because uh, because of these introductions of things like S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury, where it actually felt like a bigger universe, whereas Spider-Man felt like a Spider-Man universe? Yes, Do you definitely. think that, that, yeah?
1: Absolutely. I think 100%. I think the idea that you could tell there were two things going on here. We were being introduced to this character in his world, but we were also being told, ah, but... This is a universe out there There's a whole other universe of characters And you're getting a glimpse in this corner And you're right In the other ones, it's very much It felt like the lens was focused entirely on that And nothing else And I would never have expected to like see the camera move to the left In a Tobey Maguire movie And suddenly see Iron Man fly by But mm-hmm. in this, I could believe right out of the gate That if the camera moved I might see Thor in the sky Or something else going on Of course, in very short order you know, we were going to get that, so it was it was quite a thing. It's very very emotional to see this come to life. I feel like
0: uh, I I do appreciate that. I feel like the Spider-Man franchise uh, maybe started that to a certain extent, at least the way that they were doing it. Because I did like how in those films, I felt like they were actually working to set up characters that would potentially. Um, be more important as villains in later films like even by the time we were getting to spider-man two and three where we had uh, a dr connor
1: character uh, I, was, I was gonna never
0: say, never got used but at least uh, at least yeah. they were setting that up and I was I'm like that's say, great
1: pity poor dylan baker who never got right, to this lizard movie. <laughs>
0: yeah i was so disappointed when they opted not to use him in uh, the amazing spider-man yeah. but do you guys uh, ever see trick-or-treat
1: okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I was like, I was thinking, <laughs> Dylan Baker had the chops, but, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with I, I you. It it felt very much like it was building a world, but it was building a spider world, which is fine.
0: Yeah, But it did kind of give that sense of like, it, it was almost like a baby step, yes. you know? Yeah. I, and so to that end, I, I, I do think that it was a, a nice way to kind of lead to this place where we are today.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said before, being a Spider-Man guy, it was like until Tom Holland... Um Spider-Man 2, to me, was the moment where I felt I was genuinely getting something I'd waited all my life for as a fan. Spider-Man 2 felt like a version of a John Romita late 60s story just ripped off the page and put on the screen. And I was happy about that. And now I feel they've really nailed how this character works in a larger context. Yeah, I just love Spider-Man.
2: Well, it's just delightful. And I think that, I, man, I could not agree more about Spider-Man 2. And so much of that is is thanks to the just incredible performance from Alfred Molina, oh, who is yeah. is just so stellar and really buries himself in the part, which could have come off as just weird. Um, you know, but man, he's just got the chops to deliver on Dr.
1: And not only that, but like, we've been talking this week about some of the performances in Iron Man, especially like Jeff Bridges or, or, or Clark Gregg. Molina's performance is so emotionally driven that you care about him as a person. He's not a one note Mm -hmm. character. He has this. And again, here you go before technically the MCU got started. What have we got at the core of this? It's a father son story because <laughs> he's another surrogate father figure for peter but right. because of that we care about this guy and you get the real sense that he's almost a victim of his own arms and and the malevolence there and and so yeah it's a it's a real driving force but yeah there's another example of why that was like the the baby steps maybe in a bad way they they saw what worked into and it's like oh i guess they want father son stories it's like not all right. the time <laughs> that's all we
2: can do now just some of right. the time
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh. Uh so something we, we like to uh, do is is talk about the uh the overall Marvel cinematic universe and rank uh as at least as many as you feel like ranking of the twenty films so far.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, um one thing I know that I definitely uh got over the years working on a lot of magazines is I, I grew to really Hate the assignment when it came to like do like <laughs> listicles for the web and things like that because I mainly feel like on a certain level um, there's no ranking things if you like a lot of the you know a lot of them yeah. and I feel a lot kind of sit very close together but if we're if we're looking at the the run of everything that's come up till I guess where we talking like up to Infinity War maybe or even Ant Man and the Wasp I guess yeah, um, yeah. I can definitely say that. Uh, I'll start with a negative and say that, to me, some of the lowest points are the first two Thor movies. But it may just be a personal thing, because even going back to being a kid, the, the Asgardian aspect of the Marvel Universe and some of that stuff was also one of those corners where I kept up with it, but I was never as engaged with it. I didn't find it quite as enjoyable as some of the other stuff. So... I will give them full credit for, again, creating a version of that that feels right and fits well within this universe, but it's also not one that necessarily entertains me as much as some of the other stuff, so I haven't revisited those as much. And I think that Hemsworth's Thor works best in an ensemble, but when he's the lead, I'm just a little less interested, and it's not really a discredit to the the films, it's just that that doesn't hit me on the same level so those how two did are, uh, how did how did Ragnarok work for you then Ragnarok I thought was fantastic, but i okay. think I think a yeah. lot of that has to do with the fact that in some respects, Ragnarok feels still like an ensemble piece like I feel like in a way they almost figured out that to a certain extent he does work better when he has people to bounce off of and having the Hulk there and uh and having Tessa and introducing there, Valkyrie
2: yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's, there's an aspect of that where it felt almost like in like a mini Avengers" kind of thing going on, and the sense of humor and uh, I mean, what direction and, and his, his sense of humor that just suffuses that whole film, brilliant. So that's one of the high points, I think, of certainly the recent movies. Some of my all-time favorites right at the top of the list would be "Winter Soldiers, one of them. I think that's a a huge early Mm -hmm. linchpin for why this universe works and and Mm -hmm. the first Avengers. Uh, In fact, if I want to nail it down, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but the 30 seconds in the Avengers where the music kicks in, you're getting the title theme, and we get that one unbroken shot of all of them fighting across the entire city, and the camera keeps moving (laughs) and we're seeing them all working together, that is the money shot of the whole movie. That's yeah. the shot that says, "Here's your Marvel Universe you've waited your whole life for." There they are. You going to argue it's the money shot for the first 6 films. Yes, <laughs> yes, I was going to say is.
2: not even for phase 1, but maybe for phase 1 and 2. You know, I mean yeah. it's just it it's the thing that still you just said it and I couldn't I couldn't stifle a like a joyful <laughs> chuckle. Like it's still <laughs> just so heartwarming.
1: <laughs> yes, that is it. That's the moment. And yeah. um and to a certain extent in a in a way the airport battle in Civil War feels a bit like that again because although there are people that will always say, like, it's one of the silliest aspects of the Marvel Universe and I 100% agree it is there's something about Marvel where it's like well you get a bunch of heroes together they're going to need to punch each other for a while first before they decide to go get the real villain and so I thought the airport battle is like that's the Marvel universe I remember all the heroes punching each other for a while and yet doing it with a sense of humor and with like a weird almost lighthearted air to it and, uh, and that was beautiful and one of my all time favorites is Iron Man 3 which wow, is the contentious really? one yeah I know but I think Iron A Man three is black
2: action. Huh? Yeah, I
1: think Iron Man three is brilliant. I think it's the best Iron Man movie. I think it's better than the first one. There, I said it. Wow. Yeah.
2: Oh no! I now I can't yeah. wait to watch it again. That's
0: high praise. I'm now very excited to uh, to bring you back in however many years it is when we finally yeah. talk about Iron <laughs> Man three.
1: <laughs> let's let's make sure we stay in touch. So the whole we'll, uh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I I wouldn't say that it's my favorite of the the Iron Man films. I would still stick with the first one, but uh, but I I do love me some Shane Black. I think he's a he is a a strong director, and I think it made some bold choices in the telling of that. It story. did,
1: and I and for me, one of the main moments is when he decides to go in um, to the mansion, and he does it with all the stuff that he's grabbed from like the hardware store. And it's an example of this is why Iron Man is a hero, is it's Tony Stark. It's nothing to do with any one suit or anything about that. It's the fact that his brain is his superpower. And so he can accomplish things just as himself with a hoodie and, you know, and, and a couple things he's strapped together because that's Tony. And, so, and there's aspects of that that I think rise above almost everything else. And I know that people have a lot of issues with it, but I think Iron Man 3 is just brilliant. I think it was so brave to do something that almost said, you know, we know we could just shoot out another Iron Man movie, but we're going to do this instead. And and it was great. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. And and not uh feel beholden to the uh the source material.
1: Yeah. No, and and the Mandarin thing, there are people that are really, you know, annoyed by it. I thought it was very clever.
0: Well, and it's also in a way where you're kind of turning turning the uh, stereotyping of the character on its head as well, which I, I think is an interesting way to go about that and to approach the potential issues that you'd have of creating this, uh, you know, this Asian uh, villain who used these magic rings. It was kind yeah. of a ca- crazy character anyway. Well, I'll
1: tell you one thing though. As much as I do love that movie, I will also take it to task. I think they made a horrible choice in making it and the horrible choice I think is none of nothing on the list of anybody else's list of things that they hate about Iron Man 3. I think the horrible choice they made is they didn't leave it as their original plan where Rebecca Hall's Maya Hansen was going to be the Mandarin. I think that should have been they should have stuck to their guns and did that. But, unf- that would have been but unfortunately, yeah, they altered that. Yeah. They significantly reduced her role and uh, she's talked elsewhere about how, you know, she had signed on for a much more substantial part than what she got. Yeah. Uh, and that I think would have changed a lot of people's perceptions of that film and we missed a real opportunity there. But I still love so much about it, but I I do think that that was a mistake.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, there's going to be some good stuff to talk about a few years down the road.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll catch you in about six years. Uh, I I think that's fascinating. And, and, um, you know, it's been such a, a treat to watch them sort of figure out how the universe kind of fits together. And, and you know, we talk about why this movie is so great, Iron Man, because it allows us to earn all of the the truly unbelievable stuff that comes later. I mean, how, how well would we have been able to adapt to, um, you know, Doctor Strange if we didn't have Iron Man and Captain America, Winter Soldier, and, you know, those movies that are much more grounded in the universe. Um, the, that airplane battle, which feels, or the a- airport battle, which feels Feels So much like how I used to play in the bathtub as a seven-year-old <laughs> with my action figures, yeah. right? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's exactly what was in my head on screen. And, and that's, you know, one of the things that makes that so rewarding. But if I couldn't believe in it, if I didn't have Iron Man, uh, you know, it feels like, it feels like Marvel is handing me, it, we're building a puzzle together and they're handing me only one piece at a time. Yeah, And then I have to wait six or eight months to figure out where it (laughs) fits. But I I adore that feeling of just constantly having something new revealed.
1: And while we're like, you know, have the little leeway here to look at the big picture, this is a great example of why ultimately Tony Stark and this first film was the best possible choice, at least at that time. You know, if not another time, this was the right choice, because by the time you get to the Battle of New York and the Avengers... And and Iron Man is looking at a hole in space and time and aliens pouring through and you get that line where he's like, you know, says, You're seeing this, he's seeing it still working on believing it or something to that effect. It's like that's yeah. that's important because it's like the audience is taking this ride with him. Yeah. And we've been with him since the beginning. And it's through him that we're witnessing this extraordinary alien invasion, but it feels okay because it's grounded in his presence and the fact that he doesn't believe it. He can't quite process it. Which, by the way, is why, one of the many reasons why I love Iron Man 3, and I held off on saying it while we were doing these episodes, because we're not (laughs) supposed to talk about the future. But notice how at the beginning in this first film, they lay the groundwork for PTSD. It's just a minor point here. It's not really something he's dealing with at this point. But then you get to three, and it's almost like a third movie payoff to something that was mentioned in the first film. Here's now Tony Stark dealing with that.
2: Yeah, beautiful.
0: Well, and you could even argue, and it'll be interesting to actually bring this up in those later films when he is dealing with that, um, that his time in the cave, I mean, obviously, you're being held by terrorists. And granted, he, he handles it well in context of this particular film. But still, it is something that does affect you, and just that idea is something that, once something like that happens to you and gets into your head, it can continue affecting you, especially as other horrific elements and, and things happen to you. So certainly, it can be something that that it, you know pushes that along further.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like another thing too is everybody takes Tony to task quite rightly for the fact that like it's ultimately his mistake that creates the whole Ultron crisis. Yeah. And, right. and we've gotten really used in recent years to the idea of Tony being sort of almost like a stealth supervillain, like he's just so incapable of realizing the consequences of his actions, and he keeps repeating these things. But if you look at it from the perspective of the fact that Iron Man 3 almost seems to neatly encapsulate the PTSD thing in one film, but no, he's constantly dealing with that, and yeah. all of his choices yeah. are informed by that cave, then right, it starts to really. make more sense. The only thing that doesn't make sense is why the others don't like take all his stuff away from him and say, "You know, <laughs> you need right. help. Stop this." But,
0: but yeah, there's uh, just a, a last aside. There is scripted uh, in the earlier scene before he flies with his with his Mark II suit. Uh, Jarvis, uh, you know, strongly cautions him against it. And he says, I suggest you allow me to employ Directive 4, which uh, is actually to uh, protect his life should he be incapable of doing so. Mm. And it's something that they had written into the script that they obviously didn't continue at all. But where would that have put us if Jarvis had these uh, these abilities to kind of stop Tony um, by not letting him do these things that are, were potentially life-threatening? Yeah. Um, and, you know influencing his ptsd it's it's an interesting element that could have in a way it might have kind of eliminated the entire uh, ability of for him to create iron man
1: but mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's interesting yeah
2: let's just say that would have had an impact on phase two <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> well arnold i had a great time uh chatting with uh you and pete this week it was fantastic Absolutely.
1: It was a pleasure. I had so much fun. And thank you so much for asking me to be part of this. It was great to revisit this little chunk of this movie with you guys.
0: Lots of good stuff this week. Uh, do you want to remind everybody one last time where they can find you on the internet?
1: Absolutely. You can track me down on Twitter at Doctor of the Dead. And if you'd like to check out my publishing company, where we've put out a whole variety of titles on all sorts of pop culture things that you love, whether that's zombie films or superhero storytelling or Star Trek, Doctor Who, and many other shows, we have a whole line of nonfiction titles from atbpublishing.com.
2: Link to that absolutely in the show notes. And uh, these books are fantastic. Journey of the Dead, a tribute to 50 years of Flesh Eaters. Consider that added to <laughs> cart. Uh, <laughs> Thank you've you so much. have got to look at these books. They're just They're just fantastic.
1: And we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up in the years ahead already planned. So we're looking forward to it.
2: Yeah, Pete.
0: Pete hasn't mentioned it yet, but he's a big zombie fan.
1: So. Oh, we have got a lot of talk about that. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah
2: yeah. Uh, and, and if you haven't, uh, you got to jump over to their T Public. If you're looking for a new nerd shirt, this is uh, this is the place to go. They've got a oh, great T
1: Publics. Thank you. Yes, that's right. We yeah. do look for ATB Publishing in the T Public store, and all those designs, almost all, are either by me or my wife. And we're constantly adding new things, and we're always interested in hearing from people what they might want to see there too.
2: I love the hello, my name is Slayer shirt. Oh, awesome. Oh, this is great stuff. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> well,
0: everybody, that is it for uh, today's show, wrapping up the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Reel. Until
1: next time, true believers.